My name is Deborah. I'm a writer who loves all things money. I'm Hui Yu, and I'm a financial advisor who wants to help you fall in love with money. And you're listening to Good Girls Talk About Money, the monthly podcast where we talk about how you can build a clearer picture of your financial well-being and be more confident about money in general. Hey everyone, welcome to the very first episode of Good Girls Talk About Money. So, why did you go with the name Good Girls Talk About Money? Well, I think there's always been this perception that girls who are interested in money are interested in it for the wrong reason, right? It's either we are too materialistic or we want money so that we can indulge in frivolous stuff like designer bags. So, I named this show because I want to, you know, change the perception and send a message that women should be invested you know, in our own financial well-being. Sounds reasonable. So what is the format of our show? Well, this show is broken down into three sections. So first of all, the first one is Need to Know, where we talk about basic money management skills that everyone should know. Uh, the, second, the second part of the show is Have to Know. And in here, we discussed about how current affairs and world politics are going to affect your money and investment. And finally, the last part of each episode would be want to know, you know, interesting stuff that could make for great conversations with friends. For example, um, if I want to invest in art, where do I start and how do I start and should I even start, for example? All right, let's get started. As a financial advisor, mm -hmm. one of the first things I always ask my clients is, how do you organize your budget? <laughs> budget? Ugh, I hate budgeting. <laughs> This is funny because I remember our first meeting and I asked you about your budget and you were unable to tell me anything. <laughs> but, thankfully, you have come a long way and this has now changed. What did you do? I, I'm not quite sure whether I consciously made an effort to start budgeting, but, you know, obviously, I think the first thing is I had to get over why I hated budgeting. As an entrepreneur, you know, I was running my business at the time you, you met me. I think that forced me to be more careful about how I spend my money. And it also helped that right now there are a lot more apps to help you keep track of your expenses. I think also you were very clear about your priorities with your very clearly defined goals. And with that, it was a lot easier for me to work with you and mm -hmm. to give you advice and... Um, now you are in a better position to know how much you're spending and how much you're saving. So, you know, enough about me. But as a financial advisor, I'm sure, you know, I think I've met my fair share of financial advisors. And every time we meet for the first time, one of the first things they always bring up is how much you put into utilities. If you have a car loan, how much do you spend on, you know, repaying that loan? Um what's your shopping budget, etc, etc, etc. So why is it so important for you to engage your customer and talk to them about their budgets? First and foremost, it's my job to talk to them about their money mm -hmm. and also to empower them when it comes to their finances. Okay, let's take it as a blank slate 
and I'm working with their money or their existing money that they have right now, I need to understand first how they're spending the money and as a result, how much they have left over to save. Mm. Um, but I think the most common mistake that most people make is they spend first on everything else, then they save later or they save the leftovers. So in my first meeting, my first advice very likely is, why don't you pay yourself first? Do it like the CPF system. When your paycheck comes in, 20% of your pay is automatically deducted before you can even touch it. And it works, definitely works, because if you were to ask most people, it is very common that they will have more money in their CPF account than in their bank accounts. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I probably had the same experience with you, if, yeah. you, if you think back. Okay. So when people realize that, yeah, it's true, why do I have more money in my OA, in my ordinary account, than in my bank account? That's when the realization hits home and they go, uh-huh, if I had saved 20% of my pay and I paid myself first before I uh, paid my taxes, gave my parents money, paid for my bills, paid for my car, paid for my house, I mean, there's a million and one things that you need to pay for mm-hmm. or you want to pay for. Why are you putting yourself last? And in this whole equation, if you are the one working so hard every day, why should you be the last person you pay? So I think when when people have this mindset shift, it helps them save or or budget a lot easier. Mm. Okay, yeah. You decide for yourself what is a decent amount that you are worth. It can be 10%, it can be 20%. Of course, this this also depends on your liabilities. But I think once you choose to put yourself as the priority, things become a lot clearer. I think the contentious part, if I may say so, is choosing yourself as a priority. Because some people might think that, yeah, I choose my lifestyle as a priority. I've worked so hard all month and... You know, I would love to be able to use my salary to go out with my friends, be able to go to a restaurant every Friday with my boyfriend, buy some nice clothes for myself. That is putting myself as a priority, right? What do you have to say about mindset like this? (laughs) I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's fair that after you work so hard and you work so many hours in a day, you just want to pamper yourself a little bit. But then... Everything is about balance. If you choose to overindulge, but this is subjective, okay? If you, if you indulge and you therefore spend all the money on pampering yourself and you end up with no more money left at the end of the day, then you need to be aware that you made this decision. Okay, it was a choice that you made. Once again, it's about the choices that you make. In your experience working with clients, right, what are some of the most common reasons given for not creating or following a budget? I am inclined to say discipline or the lack of. <laughs> I like the side that preceded this answer. <laughs> Sometimes when I speak too candidly, mm-hmm. it worries me as well. <laughs> because it is contentious. Mm-hmm. And, and people, many people may disagree with me. But why is discipline contentious? For me, discipline is about 
keeping to what I have planned for myself. Mm. So with my finances, if I have already decided to set aside 20%, for example, 20% of my income, mm-hmm. and if I fail, then there is a lack of discipline. But there could be many, many excuses like, oh, but my parents fell sick, oh, my cat fell sick, my dog fell sick, and all these things. Of course, unexpected things happen in life, but if these unexpected events happen month after month after month, then something is wrong with your discipline. Mm, or planning. Or planning. So why is it important for everyone to get a budget done? I mean, I see the whole point about knowing how you spend your money, and I think at the end of the day, it's always useful to know that I earn this much, I spend this much, and at the end of the day, I have this much left to invest or save or you know, pay towards some kind of protection in the form of insurance, right? But I don't think everyone gets that. Okay, it depends on how much of a control freak you are. <laughs> I am speaking to a control freak right now. I am not a control freak, okay? Okay, anyway, go on. Okay, for me, I'm not too concerned about being overly detailed in okay. my budgeting. Okay, good point. Okay, when my pay comes in, right, the first amount of money that goes out is to my investments. Okay. That is a non-negotiable. Okay, the however many thousands that will go into investment every month will definitely go into investment every single month. I, I will not compromise on that amount because I need to go on holiday or because my, my, my pets are sick. That is a non-negotiable for me. Then the leftover money, I can do whatever I want with it. I did it slightly differently. So the moment you, you sort of sold me the idea of budgeting, what I did was I downloaded this um, app called Expenses, I think. And then what I did was I kind of went down to a very granular level about how I want to spend my money. So say for instance, maybe I earn $5,000 a month, right? And then I would dedicate, say, $300 on shopping. That's maybe about two Zara dresses or something like that. And then uh, maybe um, $150 on entertainment, whether it's going to karaoke, watching the movies, taking a ferry to Pulau Ubin and spending the weekend there hiking, for example. And then I would decide that every time I go to the supermarket to get my groceries done, which is about once every week, I will spend maybe $60. So times four, that will be $240. So I actually had these plotted down to a very granular level on the app. And then only after that, what I managed to save, so let's say for instance, I, plot, I, I said I would spend $240 on groceries. And then at the end of the month, I only spent $200. So that remaining $40, I put it into a savings account or I put it into my investment account. So I did it the other way around. But does that make sense? What do you think? To freak out, I said, <laughs> I mean, to go to such detail. Okay, it really depends on, on what works for you. Mm-hmm. There is no hard and fast rule on how, how to get your budgeting done. Mm-hmm. I know clients who, like you, downloaded such apps. But the, they lost the novelty after a few months and they just got lazy and stopped tracking. Mm. Then they know it doesn't work for them. But if you have the discipline and the interest to keep doing it, then you know it works for you. Mm. Then just continue doing it. For me, I know I will not have the patience 
to key in every single item that I spend on or, mm-hmm. or set aside a very defined budget for each line item, mm-hmm. I know it wouldn't work for me. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't try it. Mm. So, before we end this section, say I've never done a budget before, how can I best get started? I would say just follow the, what CPF has come up with. Okay, they deduct 20% from your pay. Mm-hmm. Do the same thing for yourself. Just deduct 20% of your gross income mm-hmm. if you want to be if you want to challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if not, then the 20% of your net income. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if you find it too high, okay, then find 10% or but 5%. This is, but this is just if. But this is just towards investment or savings, right? But what about like the rainy day um, amount that? you always recommend your clients to set aside just in case they lose their job or just in case an emergency come up. Does that 20% include that? For a start, okay, because right now your question is how, how do I get started mm. if you don't have a budget? Um, if you don't have a budget, I'm assuming that you're also trying to get your savings up, any sort of savings. It could be emergency cash, it could be like savings for any day, it could be anything. Okay, these things are interconnected. They are related to each other. If you're able to set aside a budget to save, and when the amount is big enough, you can then allocate it as like, okay, this is emergency cash, this is like my my travel savings, but you first have to get started. Thank you very much. And we'll take a short break now. Um, Coming back, we will be talking about have to know. And this is something that all of us in Singapore are very familiar with. It starts with C, and for some of us, it starts with E. I'll leave you to think about that for a moment. See you later. See you. Welcome back to the show. A couple of weeks ago, Hui, you sent me something about Cash Shield and Elder Shield. What's that all about? Okay. Elder Shield is for those born 1979 and before. So, this topic might be a bit confusing. I will break it down into smaller parts. Mm. Easier for everyone to understand. Elder Shield, you can choose to opt in or out. Okay. The difference between Elder Shield and Cash Shield is that Cash Shield, you cannot opt out. Okay. And with Elder Shield, you are paid three to $400 a month for six years. But with Cash Shield, you are paid $600 a month for your entire life. But... Is there some kind of condition? Like, is it if like they have to be ill or we have to be disabled or severely injured in order for Elder Shield or Cash Shield to start paying out? Okay. Either Elder Shield or Cash Shield or for both actually. If you are unable to perform three out of six of the activities of daily living, mm-hmm. then you qualify for the payout. Mm. And the six items are dressing, washing, Toileting, walking or moving around, transferring, feeding. Mm, Any three of the six, and then you qualify for the payout. So if, let's say, you're very healthy and you retire well and you kind of never, you know, gotten around to not being able to perform these activities, you will never get that money back. Yes, you are right, but you will be shocked, as most people, to find out that the stats of being unable to perform three is one in two Singaporeans. Which means, right now, it's either you or me <laughs> who will unfortunately make the claim for this. Damn it! And I just ate fast food! 
Um, okay, so do I need to action on anything if I'm under Elder Shield? Not that I'm revealing my age or anything, but just saying if I'm on Elder Shield, <laughs> you know, and I want to get on Care Shield, what what should what should I do? Okay, if you're already on Elder Shield, you can choose to opt into Care Shield in twenty twenty one. Mm-hmm. But that's entirely up to you. But as your financial advisor, I will strongly suggest that you opt into cashew and upgrade. Because what do you mean by upgrade? Okay, just think for yourself. If you're unable to perform three out of six activities of daily living mm-hmm. and you get this payout of six hundred dollars a month, what can you pay with this six hundred? Nothing. <laughs> okay, I think to be fair, six hundred dollars can get you a, a helper, a domestic helper. Mm-hmm. But maybe not from the Philippines, maybe from Indonesia or, or Myanmar. Mm. But it definitely won't be able to pay for a trained nurse mm. or for you to stay in a nursing home. Mm. For that reason, I advise all clients to top up or to upgrade. Okay. And what does the upgrade give you? Um, with an upgrade, you can choose the amount, the new amount that you want to receive for your payout. Mm-hmm. So if you were to think that $600 is insufficient and you want to receive an additional uh, $1,000, then you upgrade for the additional $1,000. Okay. But I would suggest, okay, some people may have uh, an advantage to the, or rather may be more familiar with the numbers if they have family who are disabled, or mm-hmm. for example, who had stroke. Then they will know how expensive it is to pay for uh, physiotherapy treatment if you are unable to take a, a normal transport, like train or because you're wheelchair bound and you therefore have to call an ambulance or a special vehicle to transport you from home to the hospital for your medical treatments then you will know how expensive it is okay and how does being under cash shield or elder shield affect my retirement planning i would say it all goes together let's assume you worked so hard your entire life mm-hmm. because you're looking forward to this beautiful retirement at i don't know 65 60 and unfortunately, you get stroke when you are 62. Choi. Okay, Choi. Yes. Okay, I really wish, I really don't want to make this claim for you. <laughs> okay, but okay, let's say, let's say it happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you didn't upgrade, so okay, you are eligible to the $600 payout, and you realize that it's not enough mm. to pay for a trained nurse, and you want to check yourself into a home where you have dedicated care, then the extra money will have to come from your retirement payout. Then the question is, do you want to compromise on your retirement lifestyle when you are already miserable enough being unable to perform three out of six of the activities of daily living? Oh my goodness, this is so ponderous. And I mean, yes, it's worthy, definitely worth thinking about, but oh, this is, this is so, so sad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think, okay, what 2020 has taught me is that we as humans, we are unable to predict what is going to happen. True. We, I mean, who knew that COVID was going to happen in 2020? In fact, I remember back in January this year, most people were very optimistic about the year. Yep. And I personally thought that it was going to be a bullish year. Mm. Great for the economy. Um, great for careers. Then COVID happened and it took the world by surprise, complete surprise, and now we're still trying to recover from it. So even though we cannot predict what's going to happen, the best we can do is to plan for the worst case scenarios. Mm. 
which is what all these insurance are for. True. In the event of worst case scenarios, how can you transfer the risk mm. if you don't want to bear the cost yourself? That's a very sobering thought, but let's move on to something a little bit more lighthearted, which is our final section, Want to Know? Um, yeah, so we want to talk about something quite interesting. Um, have you ever bought a luxury item, Hui? Of course. And I was quite excited when I bought my first luxury item. And what is that? My first Rolex watch. When, okay, when I turned 30, I thought I wanted to, to commemorate the big three. And I bought myself my first nice watch. Mm-hmm. I was so excited. I will wear it to sleep. No way. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I, I remember <laughs> leading up to my birthday, I would go for spin class. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll go for spin class. And every time I'm, I'm on the bike and I'm spending my life away, I will visualize the watch that I want. Wow. Every single day. When I pedal, I visualize the body that I want. Oh, okay, I guess we <laughs> want different things. <laughs> so, um,. Can people really insure these luxury items, such as their Hermes bag, their Chanel bag, their Rolex watches, for instance? Is there even an insurance product, you know, for such things? Okay, when it comes to insuring luxury items, Mm -hmm. you first have to think about whether it's worth insuring, okay? Because what to you is uh, very luxury might not be expensive enough to the insurer. Mm. Okay, for example, Hermes bags. Yep. The price, the range is very different. The cost, mm. it can cost from, I, 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 you have to correct me. I think 10k, $10,000. I think right now it's about 13 or 11. Oh, I really cannot keep track. Actually, I, I don't know, but go on. Okay, so <laughs> the price keeps inflating every year. I mm-hmm. guess that's the appeal as well yeah. to owning one. So it can be from what, 11, $13,000 to hundreds of thousands of dollars mm. for the more exclusive MS bags. And if you are a collector, mm-hmm. you have to get it from auctions in the second-hand market. Those items, which are worth hundreds of thousands, are definitely worth insuring because someone could break into your house mm-hmm. to steal it or you could be in your hotel room and you lose it. So many things could happen to your very, very expensive bag or watch. I'm going to stop you there, but how does the insurer decide whether this is something that is worth insurance. I mean, for everyone, this is quite an objective thing, right? Like, I spent, what, 7k on my first Rolex watch and to date, I still feel like, I still feel my heart break a little bit every time it gets a scratch from daily wear or something like that. So, but obviously, an insurer is going to look at my Rolex watch and go, nah, you know, anyone and everyone can now buy a Rolex watch, so this is not worth insuring. But to me, it's my life. So how, how does the insurer decide whether this is something that is worth insuring? Okay, to be fair to the insurers, they will mm-hmm. be kind. And <laughs> it's very likely that they will insure your Rolex watch. Okay. Okay, so what you need to do, okay, no, maybe I shouldn't disclose too much. Maybe if you want to insure your luxury item, you should speak to me privately. <laughs> okay, so, so for those listeners out there, if you have so many bags and watches that you want to insure, let me know. But I can tell you that, yes, we have insurance products in the market that mm-hmm. will insure these items and other costly items in your house. And what are these insurance plans called? Okay, they are mainly home insurance. Okay. Okay, so they cover things like um, 
Okay, when it comes to luxuries, the items range from antique, fine art, jewellery, uh, wine, it could be some collectible whiskey, rare books, mm. manuscripts, bicycles, okay, because some bicycles are really expensive, mm. okay, um, cameras, okay, people are very serious about the, the photography now, mm-hmm. so some cameras can get very expensive as well, or stamps and coins, music, musical instruments, it's up to you, I mean, the, the list is, is long. I heard this, I don't know whether it's urban legend, but I heard this story about how this guy wore his Rolex to Sentosa and then he lost it on the beach and he can't find it. And in the end, the insurer actually paid out. But how do you actually prove that he didn't just hide his watch somewhere? You have to first make a police report. Okay. So the insurers take it quite seriously. Mm-hmm. They need to have proof that you lost it. And if you go to the police and, and make a report, it's unlikely that people are going to think that you are lying. Okay, because lying to the police is a crime. Exactly, right. it's, it's criminal. So yeah. if you can produce the, the police report, mm-hmm. and if the insurers, after doing their own due diligence, find that there is a, you have the right to make the claim, mm-hmm. and if you've got a good insurance covering your, your luxury items, it's very likely that you will get a payout. Excellent. And just for the sake of curiosity, right, do you insure any of your luxury items? Ayo, I don't have that many luxury items. You just said you have a Rolex watch. In fact, I know for a fact you have Rolex watches. Right, but I don't see myself having that many and I'm definitely not a collector. But if let's say you do go ahead to insure your watches, how much would the insurance premiums cost? Uh, okay, so... I would need to submit my receipts for my valuable items for the insurance to come back with a quotation mm-hmm. on how much the, the premiums are. Okay. Uh, I can't tell for sure. It yeah. could be a few hundred to a few thousand dollars depending on the, the value of mm-hmm. my valuables. Yeah. And when they pay out, when the payout is done, right, is it to the amount that you spent buying that watch or what the market value of the watch is worth at the time when it's lost? Okay. If you were to get a good insurance coverage, mm-hmm. they can either, or rather, you can choose whether they want whether you want them to replace the item. So you want the same watch back. Mm. Then at whatever cost, they would just need to get you the same watch back. Or you want them to give you the cash that you paid. Okay, but it's not the, ma- the market value of what the watch is. Okay, well, I think that's something that's worth researching if let's say you have like a collection of Rolex watches. Getting there. Or Hermes bags. Okay. (laughs) None. Yeah. We've come to the end of the first episode of Good Girls Talk About Money. Of course, this is a constant work in progress and we would love to receive feedback on how we can improve the show. If you have any money-related topics you want us to discuss, please email goodgirlstalkaboutmoney at gmail.com. With that, we'll see you again next month. Goodbye.